0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com.
1: All right, how are we today? Good, good to see you today. Thanks for being here. My name's Tim, I'm one of the elders. We uh, are in the middle of our Grow series that we started last week. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in a second, but just let me reiterate a couple of things that Tony said. Uh, love to meet you. At the Meet the Pastors' Coffee, which is going to be right through that wall uh, in the largest kids' room, we'll have some coffee in there. Just a space for us to shake hands and uh, see you know each other up close. I'd really appreciate it if you'd stop by. Uh, we did want people to sign up, but we'll let it slide this one time, all right? Henceforth, you will be banned for all future meetings if you do not sign up. Uh, the other thing is that parenting lab that's going to be starting this Thursday. Guys, I can't I cannot tell you enough uh how beneficial it would be to you, to be at that if you have kids, uh if you think you want to have kids, if you are a kid, I don't know. Um, yeah, that's gonna be a really good time, real casual, real genuine, really helpful. Uh childcare is gonna be provided. We thought it would be odd to not have child care provided at a parenting lab, so that will be provided, so that we do need you as best as you can to sign up if you're hoping to come, just because we want to make sure we have enough people to chase your kids around the building, that's not true, we won't be chasing them, they'll be very well behaved and taken care of and safe the whole time, so uh, please, that's Thursday at 6.30, so hopefully you can make that work, Uh, go to John chapter 3 with me, Last week, Tony got us kicked off here on our Grow series, and essentially what this is, is we are in the season of Lent right now, this season of preparation for Resurrection Sunday, the day that we will gather and celebrate the fact that our Savior is not dead after He was put on a cross, but that He rose again, that He's alive, and that He's making all things new, starting with us. Right. He's making us new. And so on Easter Sunday, uh, we're actually going to be at the Sheridan like we were last year. If you have not been baptized, Easter Sunday is your day to do it. So we'll be putting a sign up out there. But we're excited about that. And Lent is the 40 days leading up to that. It's this opportunity that we have to, as a body, just prepare ourselves for that celebration. And a lot of times whenever people think about Lent, they think about things they stop doing. Right. And so I stop drinking coffee. Right? Why would you do that? I don't know. God would have to audibly tell me, stop drinking coffee. Yeah, I get off Facebook, which I understand that one. You should probably get off Facebook. I don't do sugar. You know what? We fast from all these things. We don't ever think about fasting as adding something in, right? The things that we want to stop doing, things we want to start doing. And so this Grow series is five things that every week we want you to consider adding into your life. And so last week we saw... That our God is speaking, and so we read our Bible and pray. Why should you read your Bible? Because God is a God who speaks, and why should you pray? Because God is a God who listens, and so we want to add those uh, those relational elements into our schedule, into our lives, into our framework. And so, every single day over the next thirty five days, you can either get the hard copy online, they'll be, or not the hard copy, the digital copy. Uh, if you are if you hail from the 80s, like we talked about, uh, if you want the hard copy, it'll be out front. If you are on Facebook and not fasting from it for Lent every single day, uh, the daily entry, the daily journal will be on our Facebook page. So You can go in there and grab it. But please join us uh, for this study. We're excited about it. A lot of work has been put into it. And so hopefully that will be a blessing to you. But today we're going to look at our God is at work. And so we're on mission. Our God's at work, and so we're on mission. So why don't you stand with me? We'll read God's Word together. Some of you will be able to quote this from memory, but uh, we're going to read it together, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll get to it. All right? John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Let's pray. God, I pray today that uh, You would just speak to us that you would cut through everything, that you would cut through uh, our weeks, cut through our concerns, anxieties, stresses, uh, and that you would speak to us in this time and place. And I pray that you would accomplish your will and your purposes with us. We're your people. We need you. uh, And so we believe that you're speaking and we want to hear from you and we believe that you're working, so we want to join you. So God, would you encourage our hearts today? Would you challenge us where need be? Would you be glorified with what happens here? Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, go ahead and have a seat. So every week we, uh, are going to be introducing you to some folks who are trying to pursue these different values. And this week I want to introduce you to Michael Leeson. Why don't you stand up? I said at, uh, yeah, please. I said at, uh, at West, uh, Michael works for YWAM. His wife is Emma, who just led us in worship. And, uh, Michael is a good man, a good friend, and he's really, trying to work out this idea of being on mission, I said at West, he's also exceptionally good looking, and he, and he, uh, <laughs> did you did hear that someone whistled, that might have been your wife, that was wasn't your wife, okay, so I'm going to give him a chance to talk to you about this idea of mission in his life, and uh, then we will, I'll come back up,
0: go ahead. <laughs> um, there And um, people are really hungry. And, uh, Christians and church leaders really want to know about what does the gospel mean for our society. So it's great to, to be able to, to have a part in that and have discussions and hear and listen and learn and, um, brainstorm together. So it's, uh, in the midst of this training that we were doing, uh, we sent outreach teams out, um, ar- around the region that we were in. So I got to join a, a team of, of, uh, some Congolese participants. And just join them on outreach. So I think there's a few photos. Is there? A, let's see. Okay, it's coming. Take your word for it. All right. So this this first te- this first photo ought to uh, show the the team that I was a part of. So I rode into into the jungle, into the bush for for a few hours on the back of a motorcycle with this crew, and um, to do outreach in one, one of their home communities and home churches. And, uh, so this was just a, a tremendous experience to be able to hang out with these guys and such an honor to be, to be hosted, to be welcomed, and, um, to really be able to experience and learn firsthand. Uh, so this is us, uh, getting ready to go there. Uh, now, uh, this was, um, was quite a, was quite a, a trek that we had. Oh, thanks for getting the lights. So there we are. We're getting ready. Um, so we're doing, do, doing outreach in this community over the weekend. It's a wonderful time. And, uh, eaten lots of, uh, peanuts and bananas, peanuts and bananas, grilled, fried, mashed, any, any way that you can imagine, um, bananas and peanuts, and which I must say is amazing, amazing food. Um, so just really having a wonderful time trying to communicate, trying to find that French that I know somewhere in the back of my brain. Um, the only an English speaker within miles, and, um, so, yeah, just a really humbling, amazing time. I said that already. Then, um, as it got, as it, we we were leaving that place on Sunday, and Sunday morning I wake up, the, this strange feeling of chills, headache. Imagine that you're thrown into a, like a walk-in freezer, and the door is locked, and you got this splitting headache, and, um, and you're, you're shivering, and you're sweating profusely at the same time, and you're, your joints all ache, and like, that's, that's what this feeling. I woke up, and, uh, this is not good. It's not good. And, um, so I, I join in the church service, which is like four or five hours long. Amazing. Amazing time. Um, and then we get ready to go. Well, we have lunch, and I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of choking lunch down, just trying to be honoring, and, and, um, and then we, we get ready to go. And I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, I can't make this trip back. So, I think, There's, so like that's, I don't know how well you can see that, but that, that's a road, one of the roads that we're taking. Just like bumpy, flooded paths through, through the jungle. So, and I'm on the back of a motorcycle. I don't know if you guys have experienced long journeys on the back of a motorcycle. Uh, it's not the easiest, most comfortable position, especially on a road like this. And so, um, I'm, I'm literally like I'm praying and begging God for help to make this trip back, place where we're staying. And, uh, the fever is, and I can't, you know, I can't explain what's going on. So, I'm just, it's just me and Jesus, right? That's how it feels. And, uh, and, um, so we, we finally, we hop, we kind of get ready to go, and I'm on the back of the motorcycle, and we take off. I'm like, alright, Lord, I, I can make it, I can make it, I've like resolved to make it. But then, we stop 15 minutes later at the, at the next village. Like, wait, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> well, we're gonna have second lunch here. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. And so I'm like, I'm choking down more food, uh, good food, okay, good food. But I'm just like choking it down, just trying to be honoring, trying to smile, praying for the Lord to help me. And, uh, fever's going up. The aches are hurting. How many of you have had the flu this year? Anybody? Man, that's all I'm talking about. Just bad flu. And, um, and so then we, uh, um, this, this sound of this music is like growing outside and yells and, and shouts. And we walk outside after lunch and there's a huge crowd of at least a couple hundred people. Um, and they're dancing. It's like celebration, welcoming guests, uh, who are on our team. And, um, this, I think there's another picture there. Um, this guy walks up to me and it's like a conga line. Like people are like dancing. There's kind of like this, like, Told you I'd do that, and um, people are people are dancing. People are excited, and this this older man, this like honored older man, comes and he hands me this this thing which I've got in my hand there, which is like this symbol of honor. And he pulls me in to dance, and I'm like, I can't do this. Like I I don't have it in me to do this. And I pray, I'm like, Lord, you're worthy. Help me to do this. And I and I start dancing. And every symptom that I had just was gone. It was just like disappeared, and I'm fine. And I'm dancing, dancing, I'm dancing like Zima, um, you know. I'm dancing like like nobody's watching. Like, and I was like, "Don't say that." I just said that to make my wife mad. Um, so I'm dancing, and um, and this goes on for a while, and I'm I'm amazed because I'm like I'm not sick anymore. And then we, so this all wraps up after a while, we hop on the motorcycles, rides through the jungle, gets it back to the place we're staying. And that night, I get back, and it hits me again. And I know it's malaria. I know it, because this is the third time that I've had it. And uh, and I'm like, oh no, this is going to be a long trip back. And so, you know, the plane ride, I'm trying to like hide symptoms, so I don't get quarantined on the way, you know, like in London on the way back. And uh, thankfully, this is pre-Ebola crisis, so Um, when I come back and I'm just, I'm hurting for, for days. And finally, like, I got to call the doctors I call. And, um, they, they're like, yeah, you got to go to urgent care. I go to urgent care, wait for like three hours. They're like, go to the ER. they go to the ER and they're like, I got needles all over me. They're whispering about whether they need to quarantine me. Um, they're looking in their textbooks about malaria, you know, just don't have it around here anymore. And, um, So finally, we, uh, get some medications, a horrible, uh, um, well, it's a horrible pain over the next few weeks. But, um, what I want to say is that God was faithful to help me, give me grace to do what was in front of me in that situation. And He was worthy for my, for me to like step in and, and, and do that. Even, you know, dancing is kind of, this is not a story about dancing. It's not a story about malaria. It's not a story about the Congo. It's a story about God's faithfulness and how worthy He is of obedience, even in in small things like this. But His faithfulness to meet us and equip us in those kinds of situations. So I could tell you stories even about my kids waking up in the middle of the night. You know, whatever it might be, and His faithfulness to meet us when we obey. So I just want to give testimony to that and give glory to God His faithfulness.
1: I do feel a little bit ripped off. I expected much more dancing. Yeah. Later. Later. All right. I'm going to hold you to that, buddy. Um, so thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, it was It's interesting now thinking back whenever Michael got back and we'd been praying for him, and I was like, man, let's go to lunch. And uh, we're at Culver's, and he's just like, oh. I'm like, dude, what's wrong? He's like, i got malaria. And I was like, Really? <laughs> All right, uh, just gonna stand over here, you know. He's like, "No, I got medicine." I was like, "Okay, I'm glad, buddy, over there." Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so why why do we have uh, why do we have Michael come up and talk to you outside of his exceptional good looks, right? Uh, the reason that I that, that I wanted to is, is I want you, I want you to hear about God's faithfulness, and I want you to hear uh, about uh, just taking steps to follow and obey God. Uh but whenever we think about mission, if we're honest, don't we normally think about places like the Congo on the back of motorcycles in the jungle eating peanuts and bananas? Yeah. Uh the other thing that he didn't tell you was he's in the Congo and he sends me this text and he goes, This was for lunch and I open the picture and it's the, a monkey head. Right? Yeah, like everything's still on it. Looking up at me. And and so he didn't he had peanuts, bananas and monkey brain, that was the other kind of deal. So uh, I think that whenever we think about missions, we we think about that. And and I want to, I don't want to dispel that. I don't. Uh, and let me tell you why. Whenever you read in the Bible about God's aim, God God's always about His glory. God's always about being known and worshipped and enjoyed. That's always God's aim. God's always seeking that. God's always desiring that. God's always pointing people to that. And the first interaction that we see him have with a human being in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, he kind of sits Adam down and he says, Adam, here's the deal, man. I created you in my image, uh, and I'm calling you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the what? The earth. Fill the earth. The plan was always... For the whole earth, whenever God is talking to Abraham, He says, Abraham, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a people, I'm gonna give you a nation, Genesis 12 and verse 3, and through that nation, all people will be blessed. The whole earth, all people, in Isaiah chapter 49, God says to the nation of Israel, I want you to be a light to the Gentiles. At that point, there's two types of people. There's Jews, and Gentiles. And so God says to the Jews, I want you to be a light to the Gentiles. And He's essentially saying, I want you to be a light to everyone else. The whole earth. All people. Everyone else. Habakkuk 2 and verse 14, that the glory of the Lord might fill the whole earth. The whole earth. Whenever God sends Jesus, what does He say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever... Anyone who wants to get in on this thing. Anyone from anywhere. The whole earth. All people being blessed. In Mark chapter 11, it talks about God's concerns not for a nation, but for nations. For nations, for people in all the earth that all people would be blessed whenever God ascends back to heaven. Jesus ascends back to heaven. He gets His disciples around Him. He says, here's what I want you to do, guys. I want you, in Matthew chapter 28, to go and make disciples, to teach them, to baptize, and to do what? To send them to the ends of the earth. We just finished Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and it's reiterated. I want you to start in Jerusalem, and then go to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then where? To the uttermost, to the ends of the earth. Listen, God's plan has always been for all nations, for the whole world. And and the reason I think this is important is that uh, whenever we think about missions, I think that we think about it like Austin Powers. You have no idea where I'm going, do you? Nope? Good. Do you remember the spot in the movie where Dr. Evil shows up and he's got this plan that's especially evil, and he says, I'm going to do this and that, and then I'm going to make them give us one... Million dollars! And everyone's like, what? One million dollars? Yes, one million! And he laughs, this real evil laugh, and everyone's kind of like, that's not a lot of money anymore, bro. And there's this kind of weird look that comes over his face. I think that whenever we think about missions, and this is the first of five things that I want to challenge you with, we think about it like this I want God to use me in my neighborhood! With the people that I already know. <laughs> and God's like, what about the Congo? What about the Congo? What, what about uh, other places and other people and other nations? And so the first thing that I want to put in front of you is: is when we think about nations, do we believe that God is at work in all places and with all people? And do our desires and our vision match God's in scope? Or do we sit around and celebrate that we might be able to make a dent across the street? Listen, the reason that I run Michael up here is because Michael reminds us that God is at work, not just in Madison, but he's at work, he's at work in the Congo. He's at work in the Congo, he's at work in Asia and Africa and South America. He's at, he's at work all over the place because God's aim has always been for his glory for all people in all places, all nations, that all people would be blessed. And so when we talk about joining the work that God's doing and being on mission, it's not just about Madison. It's about everywhere. And it's about thinking and praying and hoping and sending people to to all places. Now here's the thing about that. Uh, That's intimidating, isn't it? It's really intimidating. It's intimidating to think about all nations and all people. And God, I I wouldn't even possibly know where to start. So I want to give you four things to consider here today about, about joining God's work in all people and in all nations, that all people could be blessed. All right? God's plan, whenever he uh, responded to Adam and Eve's rebellion in Genesis chapter 3, was that he started to talk about the renewing of all things. So the scope doesn't change, uh, but he just talks about renewing, redoing. And the place that he starts to enact his mission is by saving a person. God's mission started in me October 18th, 1994. He saved me. There, there isn't some big, grand, you know, uh, lots of lines everywhere and John Madden commentating on, well, the guys are, you know, God's plan is to save people. God's plan is to save you. God's plan is to call you. God's plan is to redeem you. God's plan is to make you new today. That's the totality God's plan. I want you to understand that. The totality of God's plan is to save people, to save a person. Maybe here today to save you're in here for the first time. God wants to save you. God's enacting of renewing all things is to save one person, one at a time, one at a time. And when God saves a person, he sends a person. When God saves a person, he sends a person. To the extent that a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon said it this way, that a Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. A Christian, somebody that's saved, is either sent or they're a fake. They're a fake. God's plan isn't to look at a map and go, what could we do? God's plan is to redeem you and to send you and what I want you to understand is that the stewardship of the grand mission of God to renew all things and all people in all places over all time starts with saving a person and stewarding them with mission. Stewarding them with mission. In the book of Acts, we saw again and again and again that there wasn't some whiteboard in Jerusalem that Peter, James, and John were writing on. Right? Right? There wasn't some grand plan. There wasn't some overarching strategy. There was wherever God's people were, mission was happening. Wherever God's people were, were, were located, if they got moved, if they were persecuted, if they experienced loss, where God's people were, mission happened. The way that the early church grew wasn't that there was some big, intimidating, how are we going to get into the Congo? It was, no, God saved us where we were, and we're going to be a part of seeing God save others where we are. And so a mission, as intimidating as it can be when somebody comes up and talks about peanuts, malaria, and monkey brains, is really very simple. The plan is you. The plan is me. And the plan is the person who's in front of you. And you understanding that there is no plan B for God. There is no, if Tim doesn't do it, the stewardship of the gospel is given to anyone in this room who would consider themselves a Christian. You are God's plan for mission. I am God's plan for mission. So when we think about this, I want to give you three things to think about. The first is this. Mission uh, begins with love. Mission begins with love. How many of you, whenever I talk about being a missionary, you think about a place a long way away, and you think about articulating the gospel in an effective way, and that scares the bleep out of you? Anyone? I'm like, you should be a missionary. I would love to do that. I just don't know what what I would say. I don't know how it's, I, I just, I feel inadequate. I feel, I feel, uh, like, uh, o- overwhelmed. I, 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 I can't put all the things together. Uh, and I really think that that's a, a misnomer for us. Uh, because whenever we read John chapter 3 and verse 16, what does it say? It doesn't say that God so loved the world that he sent a grand idea. Right? God so loved that it started with love. It didn't start with an intellectual idea that we transfer to people. It started with, with care and with love and with brokenness and with desire. Uh, and whenever the, the, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, tell us the, the, the most important commands, what did Jesus say? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Something that I've noticed in my own life is that when I look at my missional effectiveness, I went to school, I know what I'm supposed to say at the right time. Whether or not I do it is another question, right? But I know what I'm supposed to say. And what I've noticed is that people don't really care how effectively I deliver to them the the intellectual elements of the gospel. They care whether or not I love them. They care whether or not I care about them. And the people that God has used me most effectively to show His glory to aren't the people that I've been able to sit down and say, here's the deal, there's two cliffs and in between is hell. Let's talk about substitutionary atonement. No, it's been people who knew that I cared about them, knew that I loved them, knew that I believed God had the best plans for them and I invested in that relationship and I tried to show them God's love and it was not about getting them to believe something or to come to my church. It was just about my care and my love for them. And so as intimidating as mission can be, we have to first wrap our heads around mission is just about about me stewarding the thing that's in front of me, just like Michael just said. Dancing, which apparently looks like this. (laughs) We are in Wisconsin, after all. Yeah. It's about me stewarding what's in front of me, and it's about me understanding that God is is less interested with the the skill at which I intellectually ascribe the elements of the gospel, and more interested with, do do you love your neighbor? How? As yourself. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you take seriously the stewardship of the gospel? And do you love the people that are around you? And the reality of it is, guys, that a lot of us, the reason that we struggle missionally isn't because we don't know how to lay out the gospel chart. It's because we're very consumed with the things that we already love that have to do with us. And because it's hard to, for people to get into the gravitational pull of our affection. And the gospel is that I love my God who loved me first, who loves me perfectly, and because God saved me and sent me, I love others in the same way that I love myself, in the same way that I've been loved by God. I'll tell you this, guys if you love people well, the gospel will come through. The gospel will come through. And if you are articulate and eloquent in your gospel presentation but couldn't care less about people's souls, you'll fail miserably. Mission begins with love. Number two, uh, the gospel is a story to be told. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 will be popping up behind me. I want you to look at this. Paul is speaking. He says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed, they being the nations, those who are not yet followers of Jesus, and how will they believe in Him of whom they have never heard, and how will they hear without someone what? Without preaching. Now, that word preaching isn't like what I'm doing right now. It's just, how will anybody hear if no one's willing to say? How will anybody hear if no one's willing to say? The gospel uh, is different than religion. Religion says, this is your how-to. Do this, these things, and God will be happy with you, your life will go well, and you'll go to heaven when you die. That's what religion is. The gospel is what's been done for you. It's what's been done for you. And the central element of the gospel is grace. And my belief is that grace is a foreign concept to our culture. It's a foreign concept to our culture. We, The best we can come up with it is tolerance. And I always say that tolerance is Grace's third cousin twice removed who doesn't get invited to family reunions. It's a terrible mimicry of Grace. It's a terrible mimicry of Grace. The best we can come up with is I tolerate you. Grace is a foreign concept to our culture. Uh, a couple days ago, my kids were watching TV and The Little Mermaid came on. Hang with me, all right? My kids are watching The Little Mermaid, the scene where uh, Ariel comes up and is looking into the ship, and there's this real kind of eloquent looking dude who's smoking this pipe. And Ariel turns to the seagull, and she says, why is that man not playing his snarf black? Right? You know what I'm saying. It's a fair question. Uh, Ariel thought that that smoking pipe was a snarf blat that was like a trumpet and it was a musical instrument. Uh, she had no concept for what a smoking pipe was. And so what she needed was somebody to explain it to her. Now what if that seagull had said, here's what I'm going to do, Ariel, for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life kind of like I would anyways. I'm just going to do it in general proximity to you. But I'm never going to say to you, Ariel... There's no such thing as a Snarf flat. I'm never going to give you the real McCoy. I'm never going to tell you there's something called a trumpet and you don't put tobacco in it, or you probably shouldn't, it'd be messy, right? It's, it's a foreign concept that somebody has to come alongside and care enough and believe it's their responsibility to do what? Explain. To explain. The Gospel is so foreign and so distinct from Religion and our natural bents that it has to be spoken. You can't just walk around and say, they'll figure it out. They know what a snarf blad is. No, they don't. No, they don't. And what you know about me right now is that I've got little kids. Because I'm using the little mermaid as an illustration for mission and gospel. The gospel has to be spoken. A story has to be told. So then the obvious question becomes... Tim, what story should I tell? I already told you I was intimidated telling the gospel. Here's what I want you to know. You tell your story. You tell your story. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is talking his way up the the logistical governance ladder. And he finds himself in front of a guy whose name was Agrippa. King Agrippa. I mean, this is a big meeting. I mean, this is the spot at which you bring all the gospel guns out, right? Like you, you talk about the two cliffs and eschatology and soteriology and all those other words that you don't understand or care about, right? Like give them all the, your very, very best, Paul. Like bowl him over with intellectual assent. Bowl him over with big words. Let him know that your belief system is better than his. What does Paul do? This was my life. God saved me. This is my life now. Really? Here's what you need to understand. Your story of God saving you is miraculous enough that God will use it to save someone else. Can you tell your story? Listen, I'm not asking you to give me a a four-point dissertation on the foreknowledge of God. I'm asking you to say what happened. I'm asking you to say I was on my way here and God intersected my life and turned me around and He's been faithful every day since and it was a miracle and I don't know how to explain it to you other than that I wasn't looking for God but He was looking for me. The Gospel is a story that has to be told. Your story has to be told. So I tell my story believing that I'm stewarding a story that God gave to me and I'm telling a story because the person that I'm telling it to, I care about God's plans and I care about God's purposes and I care about God's glory in their life and I'm compelled in every way to open my mouth. To open my mouth. And so when we think about mission, the first thing is, is does my conception of mission, my vision for mission in scope, does it match God's? Number two, do you understand that you're the plan? I'm the plan. We've been given this story to be told. Number three, do you love people around you? Not love the idea of people, not love people who love you back. Do you love people in the way that Jesus calls us to? And number four, do you understand that your story has to be told? It has to be articulated. It has to be communicated because grace is a foreign idea. It's a foreign idea. And then fifth and last is the gospel is a truth to be embodied. A truth to be embodied. And you say, you just went through the whole thing of saying, I had to talk. you got to do both. And it's not the same. you got to do both, and it's not the same. You have to speak the message, and you have to live the message for the message to be effective. How many of you guys remember the, the show uh, Win, Lose, or Draw? No one had the flu, and no one remembers the show. Alright, fair enough. Uh, so I played it a couple times, and uh you know there's this big whiteboard that's up there, and, and somebody goes up and they you know get real anxious, like, oh what, what's my word? And they're squeezing the pen real hard, and they get it, and they everyone like ah and they do this. They draw a circle and a line, and then they look back, and everyone goes. Uh a lollipop, and then they they do this and of course i'm I'm always like, Put something else on the board, man, right, and so they do this, and they get more and more frustrated and start like stomping their feet, right <laughs> I hate that game. (laughs) Because grace is a foreign idea, it needs to be illustrated and demonstrated on top of being proclaimed. And most of us want the demonstration of the gospel to be like this. And people look at it and go, put put something else on the board. That was the cliffs and the hell in between. (laughs) listen. (laughs) James says that faith without works is what? It's dead. The message without the model. It's ineffective it's ineffective and and some of us we want to just do the message but our lives betray and some of us we just want to do the model but we won't open our mouth the bible very clearly says you need you need both you need both in the book of Acts, we see again and again these miracles that are happening. And the question, if you kind of take a step back from it, is why does God use these miracles? And here's the reason that I believe. I believe that God uses the miracles to verify the messenger. And so someone says, hey, i got something to, to tell you. Well, why should I believe you? Bam! Oh, all right. What, what does it look like if uh, if God saves me, if God sends me, if I supernaturally love those around me, if I proclaim a story to tell, and if my life mimics it, it's called a miracle, isn't it? And your life, miraculously changed, verifies the message. It verifies the message. Your life transformed, your life headed this way and God turning you around, your life once self-centered and now unconditionally loving, your life before temporal and insular, now concerned about nations and blessing, your life renewed is a miracle. And what God calls you to do is go to the board and write out your life in a way that's clear, in a way that's understandable. And when any kind of lack of clarity comes up, for me to explain the snarf (laughs) right? For me to repent well. For me to love well. For me to speak boldly. That's what mission is. Why? So that all nations might be reached. I want you to look around right now. Just look around. I want you to see that God does this work of saving each one of us disconnected from one another, right? You didn't know me when God saved me, and I didn't know you. I want you to see what God does. He saves a person, and he connects them to a people. Creates a family, creates a home, and he calls that home to love well, to speak boldly, and to mimic the message so that the world can see his glory. And here's what he says. I steward you with boldness. And I provide you with power. God doesn't say it's up to you to make it happen. He says it's up to you to have your life match the message and to be bold enough to tell it. And I'll take care of the rest. And over time, God continues to save, and God continues to work, and God continues to renew. And now, right now, guys... We are a part of a people all over the globe that God has saved and called and sent. God's at work, and so we're on mission. We're on mission. What are those five are places that God is calling you to think on? Is God calling you to think on your personal stewardship? Is God calling you to realize you're the plan? Is God calling you to expand your scope bigger and greater? Is God calling you to love the people around you well and unconditionally? Is God calling you to tell your story? Or is God saying you have some things to repent of so that your life mimics the gospel so that when people see the whiteboard, they see me? Would you pray on those things with me? Why don't you stand? A couple ways that I want you just in the moment to respond. The first is... Uh, we do all of these things with the power that we have from the cross and from the resurrection. And so every Sunday we remind ourselves of who Jesus is by taking communion together. And so if you're a follower of His, we'd love for you to do that. Uh, If you're in here today and you're just kind of processing and thinking and want to be praying, we'll have people to my left, to your right, who would love to do that with you. Uh, And then lastly, we sing together. And and, and this this is several aspects of this. One is just to remind one another two is to praise god together for uniting us by his grace and three is that it mimics the message doesn't it a worshiping group of people mimics the gospel and so i'd invite you to sing to come up and take communion to go back and receive prayer but let me pray for you now god i thank you for uh, the fact that you saved me that i was a part of your plans uh, as a 16 year old in dover ohio 1994, that I was headed one way, that I had plans and dreams and intents, and that you intersected my life. And God, every day since, whether I knew it or not, you've been faithful and good and trustworthy. That's my story. God, I pray that you will expand my vision to match yours, for all nations to be blessed, for all people to hear, and for us to be courageous in love, for us to be courageous in word, for us to be courageous in deed to steward boldness with the message of the gospel and to trust you for the power and with the results. God, would you do these things? We thank you that you're at work today with us. And we want to join you, God. So lead us and we'll follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.